0: Thank you for listening to Voices of UMass Med, a podcast produced by the University of Massachusetts Medical School's Office of Communications. Welcome to the Voices of UMass Med.
1: In the United States every year, four million babies are born, which means every year four million American women experience the highs and the lows of pregnancy and the first year of their newborn's lives. For some, this can be a roller coaster that they never expected, and for most, it can be hard for them to get help. In today's Voices of UMass Med, we're focusing on maternal mental health, talking with two physicians who have designed an innovative way to address the gap in the number of moms and moms-to-be who need mental health care and those available to provide it. So I wanna welcome Dr. Nancy Byatt, a practicing psychiatrist and an associate professor of psychiatry, obstetrics, gynecology, and quantitative health sciences at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Morning. And Dr. Tiffany moore Simus, an associate professor of obstetrics and gynecology, pediatrics, psychiatry, and quantitative health sciences, also here at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. She's also a practicing OBGYN. Welcome. Good morning. Mm -hmm. So, um... Tiffany, I want to start with uh, you as an OBGYN who interacts with patients routinely. Um, paint a picture for us of how widespread these uh, emotional and mental health challenges are for women who are in pregnancy and have you know, newborns at home.
2: So if we think about mental health in the broad definition, we, you would expect about one in five women to experience some emotional complication of pregnancy in the postpartum period that may be depression, anxiety, obsessive-compulsive disorder, PTSD, um, some described postpartum rage or anger. And so if we think about the full spectrum of mental health conditions, it's as free, it's as current or as frequent as one in five.
1: Mm-hmm. And this whole idea of a fourth trimester, that your body really is still going through a lot of changes. Mm-hmm. Is that a new concept, fourth trimester?
2: Well it's interesting it is a relatively new concept and seemingly revolutionary um, as it relates to the OBGYN community but it makes a lot of sense right we talk about the first trimester the second the third trimester of pregnancy each of them being you know 12 to 14 weeks and then historically you had a baby and you're sort of done yeah. right? right except that There's so much more that continues in the way of, you know, anatomic changes, hormonal changes, social changes, you know, your whole sense of being, your whole place in the world, your whole sense of identity changes. And pregnancy really, some consider it a bit of a crystal ball into the future of a woman's health, but then she delivers and the pregnancy care stops. And they send you home. Right. But in pregnancy, we see you, you know, very regularly, multiple times in each of those trimesters. And so it's a changing, appropriately changing concept that we should do more yeah. in that postpartum period. And,
1: Nancy, it can have a really profound effect not just on uh, a woman's mental health, on her physical health, her family's health. Talk about that a little bit.
3: Yeah. So it's been there's been a lot of studies looking at the link between depression and, and impact on moms, babies, and, and um, families, basically. And so in pregnancy, if a woman has depression in pregnancy, it's been linked with her not having as much weight gain in pregnancy, increased risk of substance use disorders, um, smoking, increased risk of C-section. So really. Changing the birth outcomes. And then in the postpartum period, um, depression has been linked with mom and baby having difficulty bonding with each other. And so it can impact kind of their relationship with each other. And then if it continues, it's also been linked with kids of moms with depression having their increased risk of having their own psychiatric illness. And so, and then. Also dads um, or partners of women with depression have increased risk of having their own depression. So it's really something that impacts the whole family and that link has been really well established in multiple studies.
1: So I'm curious how the two of you brought your sort of complementary expertise together. Like how did, how did it dawn on you that this was a gap and, and that you could address it?
0: Yeah.
3: So when I was actually, I was doing a fellowship in um, consultation liaison psychiatry and I, I saw this patient a long time ago uh, 10 years ago now, and she presented to me, and she was pre- she was pregnant, and she said, I don't wanna have um, depression in my second pregnancy. She described her experience with her first pregnancy. And she basically described that she had a, um, it was a planned pregnancy, she became depressed in the third trimester, and basically didn't get any help, and was depressed for that entire first baby's year of life, and described this profound experience of being in a black hole, not bonding with the baby. She described the baby as feeling like an alien. And it struck me that, wow, this woman was seen, and by so many providers all throughout her pregnancy, pediatricians, obstetric providers, no one ever asked her about depression. It was just not a part of the care at that time. And then I was seeing lots of patients like that that couldn't get access to psychiatric care. And meanwhile, I was working with obstetric providers a lot and they were saying, we want to help, we don't know what to do. And so Tiffany and I kind of teamed up and we talked to a lot of OBU providers, we talked to a lot of patients, we did some focus groups and asked them, what, what would be helpful? And they all said, we want to do this. We haven't been trained and we yeah. need uh, we need a, a lifeline. We need resources so we can do this because this isn't something that we've done before. And yeah. that's what led us to create MCPAP for Moms.
1: So obstetrics providers were really open to this idea. They, you, you must have seen the need come in and out of your office every day.
2: I was exactly, you know, I had a very busy obstetric practice. I saw women all the time. I remember a particular woman who was so severely depressed. She was actually admitted to the hospital because the oxygen in her blood was so low that she just was like literally wasn't taking breaths. She wow. was so depressed. And I remember I, you know, was at the, you know, the state house Advocating on behalf of the Massachusetts um, American College of OBGYN chapter to say, because at that time there was state legislation to, that was going to mandate screening, and I was there on behalf of Mass ACOG to say, basically, you know, stay out of my exam room, don't tell me what to do, not another unfunded mandate. And I thought to myself, that's not really what I want to be saying, mm-hmm. right? Because as an OB and uh, representing our OB, you know, members and contingency, we want. To help women what the real rate limiting step was once you screen
0: mm-hmm. then
2: what where are the resources what do we do and so the conversation changed from don't make a screen to don't make a screen if we have nothing to follow that positive mm-hmm. screen up with and then came, you know, this program to help OBs address yeah. maternal yeah. mental health so complications. CPAP
1: for moms, MICPAP for moms, and you came up with this innovative way to really help women by helping Their the providers. physicians yeah, and the correct. providers. So explain how it works. How would yep. women know if they're a part of this mm-hmm. or benefiting from it?
3: So we we enroll providers. So the way it works is that um, Our goal is to build the capacity of frontline providers working with pregnant and postpartum women to help them address depression themselves. There will never be enough psychiatrists to see the patients that need us. So we want to help leverage us as limited resource and help the frontline providers do that. That includes obstetric providers mainly, but also pediatricians, really anyone working with pregnant or postpartum women. And so what we do is we provide training for them. So we go out to practices and we teach them how do you talk to women about this, how do you screen them, how do you respond to a positive screen and how our program can help. Then we provide consultation. So if an OB provider is in the office and they're seeing a patient, then they can call us. They can speak with a psychiatrist, and we'll help them figure out how to, you know, assess the patient, how to manage them, what what treatments may be appropriate. And if they're still not comfortable over the phone, we can also see them in person and do a one-time consult for them and actually see the patient. We can actually get people in for in about a, usually a week or two to see them, wow. which is unheard of to see mm-hmm. a perinatal psychiatrist in a week. So that's um, a big part of what we do, and we. And we, we never take over treatment. we always are helping that frontline provider to do that. And then the other thing we do is we have a, um, we do resource of referral. So we help link patients with therapy in the community. And this all goes through the obstetric practice as you mentioned. So the obstetric practice calls us and then we help them to do it themselves. Uh-huh. And then we, w- with the resource of referral, we can call patients and link yeah. them with treatment in the community.
1: And in Massachusetts, this is funded by the
3: state? Yep, it's yes. funded by the state. It's, um, yep, it's funded by the Department of Mental Health and it's
1: um, in the state budget, yes. And are there stories that you can share of of women who have benefited from this? I mean, I'm sure many have, right? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I mean, we just, you know, had a, someone talk to one of our, uh, yes, just recently, we were speaking with someone, and they and they and they told us that you know their OB had screened them, mm-hmm. and that they never would have talked to their obstetric provider if their obstetric provider hadn't screened them for depression. That mm-hmm. that screen opened up the conversation, and then they said that they were then linked with McPap for Moms, and the OB and the OB provider did start some medication treatment in this case. They linked with McPap for Moms, and that our care co- our resource and referral specialist linked her with a the therapist in the community, and she was able to get connected with therapy and that the care coordinate the resource and referral specialist followed up again afterwards and she said that throughout this whole process she said that all the steps where our program helped that she was like there was so many steps where I wouldn't have gotten care mm. if it hadn't been for the OB screening me and then the McPath for moms care, resource and referral specialist being available and then the OB provider providing treatment themselves So I think that's an example that, you know, without that, she basically said I would never, I wouldn't even have spoken up about it. Mm -hmm. And much less, even if I had, actually getting connected with therapists,
1: I wouldn't have been able to do that without them helping me to do that. And so thanks to the MCPAP for moms, this level of support is now the standard of care in Massachusetts, that's Mm -hmm. terrific.
0: You're listening to Voices of UMass Med, featuring the people ideas, and advances of the University of Massachusetts Medical School.
1: You're both mothers, Mm -hmm. and I'm wondering how your own personal experiences, you know, bringing children into the world, affected your desire to work on something like this?
3: Yeah, it's it's a great question. So I, you know, around the time when I was getting really interested, I was also having children. Mm -hmm. And so, and I was having a lot of friends who were having children and I was so struck by how hard it was for everybody. How hard it was for me. I mean, being a mom is really hard. Parenting is, for both mom and dad, it's an incredibly challenging experience. It rocks relationships, it rocks families, it rocks relationships with parents. And so I was like, wow, this is really, really hard. And then I had a lot of friends who it was really hard. And I actually had a very close friend who had, interestingly, postpartum depression. You know, and I, this really struck me, is that I actually didn't it wasn't until a, few, a couple of years ago, when we talked about them I'm like, did you have postpartum depression? She was like, yeah, I'm a psychiatrist. Yeah. I did not know. It was my first friend that had a baby. Yeah. And I remember she emailed me right after she had her baby and she, the email said like, sincerely. And I was like, something's not right. <laughs> Why is she emailing me like that? And she had trouble breastfeeding. And yeah. it wasn't until like, I specialized in this and we talked about it later. I'm like, did you have postpartum depression? She's like, yeah, I did. She didn't get help. She, really? she and, and I didn't know, like I didn't recognize it. And so it, It just strikes me. I think those all sort of experiences led me. This is so important. And then also, I was seeing tons of patients where um, that was the case. And so I think it's just it. It really struck me that it's in everybody's lives, and that you know, both um, my own experience how hard it is, and then having friends and also family members that you know were experiencing this. It just led me to really be even more. um, I think that was part of what you know led to all the passion around it. Tiffany?
2: No, I mean, very similar experiences. As much as you know, growing up, and I come from a big family, you see all these women who have children, and everybody just seems to be doing it, right? And the expectation is you just do it, right? And there isn't a lot of conversation about how hard it is yeah to do it there isn't right you say their children don't come with training manuals well there also isn't a class that you take to parent and it changes everything right it changes the relationship with your partner it changes the relationship with your friends and family it changes your sense of self Mm -hmm. and it so it's not surprising that there are emotional complications and I think you know for me personally you know I had my first child it was a you know unexpected early delivery kind of a traumatic delivery a baby in the NICU and I look back on that and think wow, I was certainly at high risk. And thinking back, I thought, hmm, you know, maybe were there some signs there? And even if not, sort of meriting diagnosis, I think if you, the more you talk to women and really get into what they're feeling and what they're thinking at the time around pregnancy, childbirth, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of self-doubt. Mm-hmm. A lot oh, yeah. of it is arguably very normal. But then there is a point where women need help. And it's safe to say every mother, every parent, needs help. I think that's a universal statement. I feel very comfortable saying that. And you know, some will need more help than others, but everybody needs help. Amen.
3: Right. <laughs> every every I mean, and, and I think I think it's extraordinarily <clears throat> challenging and we I think we just need to support each other and we need to support our patients and we need mm-hmm. to support you know families going through this because
1: I and I think that is so often underestimated. And so even in um the even in the most positive supported Um, Circumstances, it's still challenging. Oh, yeah. And so let's talk about the stigma. And what do you want to say to women who feel that stigma and they feel so either ashamed or scared or I don't know what can of worms I'm going to open if Mm -hmm. I say I'm having problems?
2: Right. I mean, I would say, you know, if you're looking at TV or on your computer or on your social media feed and you're seeing, you know, that beautifully coiffed woman smiling down at her perfectly like angelic child. (laughs) that is staged right <laughs> that, right they could have shot that 500 times right the reality is you know there's not often time to take a shower there's not often time to do what have you yet it actually is important yeah. to take the time to care for yourself because you can't care for another human being mm-hmm. if you're not caring mm-hmm. for right. yourself and so the ability to be real and honest with each other and not mm-hmm. have our like you know scripted facebook entry but really to you know open up and be you know present and truthful with each with each other is going to be really it's really important and it really is going to advance the field and the ability to talk about it and to decrease the stigma mm-hmm.
3: I completely agree. I, I think you know a lot of times you know when I work with women, I'm both friends and, and you know yeah. patients I'm working with, I think a lot of times this perception that well I'm going to do the best thing for my baby, I'm going to buck up and I'm going right. to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to I'm, I'm not going to get treatment, I'm going to buck up and just take care of my baby. Mm-hmm. But by ignoring yourself, you're not doing your baby any favors yeah. because the best thing someone can do is for their baby is yeah. to be able to take care of themselves as well. And I think that's a concept that. You know, I think when women are pregnant, we sometimes are like, oh, we'll take care of the pregnant woman because we can see the belly and the baby's there and we, but then I think when the postpartum period happens, Mm -hmm. it goes back to this fourth trimester concept, we often forget about that because the kind of, we all focus on the baby a lot of times. And so I think um, that it's so important for women to realize that they, that them taking care of themselves, addressing their own mental health, getting the support that they need is the best thing they can do for their family. And often it is really scary. And, um, you know, but often the most, you know, things that we do that are really worthwhile are really scary and, um, you know, in my experience when I work with people, if they've had something where they've, you know, they've asked for support, they start therapy, they, they, it actually, they can be, in my experience, a lot of times people can end up learning a lot about themselves they wouldn't have realized otherwise. So it can really be an opportunity for, for them to grow right. and to learn a lot about themselves and their family. And that can be scary. But I think it's also a really important thing that our society needs to value yeah. because, and I also want to add that I think when women are getting help and getting therapy, it's actually a real sign of courage mm-hmm. and bravery because it's really hard to do that. Yes, And um, I think that getting therapy and addressing our mental health should be like going to the dentist. You know, we all go to the dentist because we know that we're going to maintain our dental hygiene and we're not going to get cavities when we're older if we go to the dentist or we're going to have you know healthy teeth. It's the same thing. By going to therapy and by, and getting a mental health um, support, it's, you know you're investing into your long-term mental health and it helps people live a healthier and productive life and it's something we should be proud to do Mm -hmm. because it you know it really um, can it's something that takes courage Mm -hmm. and something that is so
1: beneficial to women and also their families I'm curious about your career path because when you probably decided to major in psychiatry, or I'm guessing, yeah. uh, had no idea that this is where your career would oh, lead yeah, you. yeah, definitely did not. And what What was the first sign or what was the first memory you have of saying, you know, I think I want to do this, I meaning specifically perinatal psychiatry or psychiatry in general? Psychiatry. So actually, so I, I
3: I became interested in psychology in general when I was quite young. I was reading books by by psychiatrists actually when I was like in high school, and then I I was interested in that, and then. I when, I, when I did my psychiatry rotation action, I was a medical student that was a patient that was being interviewed and I realized, I thought I wanted to do oncology at the time and I realized it's the psychiatric aspects of medical illness that fascinate me because they're so intertwined and we cannot possibly address physical health, because they're really, I don't even think they should be separate, but I was like, the physical health and mental health are so intertwined, and connecting those is what's always fascinated me, because they're so dependent on each other, and really physical health and mental health, I think, are one and the same, and then when I did my rotation as a resident, doing um, inpatient consults on the medical floor, again, I thought this is the, the interface of this, and then I started specializing in OB, and it was really that I realized it's the OB interface that really, really fascinates me, because it's such a vulnerable time feared for both mom and baby and you have the impact to not only impact mom the adult you're working with but also their baby and then even potentially have a transgenerational impact. Mm-hmm.
1: Tiffany, did you always know that you wanted to go into OBGYN?
2: No, I had no idea. (laughs) I thought I was going to be a high school physics, chemistry, and biology teacher. Really? Yeah, but in the background, like, I knew I wanted to help people, and so that, you know, sort of science was my way into medical school. In medical school, as you're going through your clerkships, I just, I've always loved school. I've always loved everything, and so OB has, you know, the it's sort of stereotypically attractive to people who like medicine who like surgery you know who don't have to choose between one or the other and then on top of that is this amazing overlay of being able to care for women at some of the most you know Poignant times in their lives, right? You know, when you first start menstruating, when you have a baby, when you go through menopause—like there's such an often intimate relationship there, and the ability to interact with women um, at very, you know, critical times in their health and their reproductive health—and you know—and then then to throw the mental health on top of that—that's really where you know I came to this place.
1: So, what's next uh, in terms of uh, MC PAP for Moms is here to stay in Massachusetts. And I know you have um, some efforts underway to, to, to use it as a pilot for other states. So, tell us about where that stands. Yeah.
3: So, we're, we're very excited and proud that MCPAP for Moms inspired federal legislation for other states to have programs like MCPAP for Moms. And that money was recently appropriated. So, there will soon be a um, grants coming out to be able to fund the Cap- for moms types of programs. And, you know, we're also very proud and excited that we get a lot of calls from people all over the country, sometimes in other, in other countries now, saying, you know, we, what you have in Massachusetts is the gold standard. We want to do what you've done there. And so we, that um, really inspired us to create Lifeline for Moms, which is a center where we essentially, the goal is to build capacity of other healthcare systems, states, regions to be able to create their own type of MCPAP for Moms types of programs, and also um, to do it at the practice level. Our vision really is to redefine mental, women's mental health to be able to include emotional health into it, mm-hmm. be able to integrate the two, so it's a holistic approach. And the way we've done that is through MCPAP for Moms, and we wanna continue to do that and help other places do it through MCPAP for Moms. And also, we are continuing to do research, develop innovative ways to keep improving Um, you know, women's mental health to integrate the emotional piece into it both at a practice level at a statewide level and um, and also at a national level level, and um, also to be able to continue to
1: advocate to um, help the field to to be able to do that. Because Tiffany, the need is not going to diminish. The need is not going to (laughs) diminish right Thank you so much for your time. This is such an important conversation, and we're really happy and hope that it keeps going. We'll have to have you uh, back some other time to let us know how Lifeline for Moms is going as it spreads across the country. So thank you for your time, Dr. Nancy Byatt and Dr. Tiffany Morsimus, both associate professors here at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Thank Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Voices of UMass Med, a podcast produced by the Office of Communications at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Visit our website at umassmed.edu news where you can find all of our podcasts. And follow us on Facebook at umassmed, Med, on LinkedIn at University of Massachusetts Medical School, and on Twitter at UMass Medical.